0: it's good to be with you on this Sunday. We made it through Thanksgiving. Woo. All right. We made it through. I had COVID for Thanksgiving. What did you have? (laughs) Turkey, ham, anybody? Yes. Um, I'm, I'm sure we both though took naps on Thanksgiving so we can be thankful for that. So this Thanksgiving was a little different for our family than, than previous years that, uh, Our tradition in our family is that that day after Thanksgiving that uh, we decorate the house for Christmas. Well, Carol decorates the house for Christmas. My job with the boys is to bring this stuff up from the basement so that she can put all the decorations out. And I couldn't do that either this year. So this year, Carol put a, a bare naked tree in my quarantine room. And then shoved in the uh, the ornaments so that I could decorate that tree. And it's a little sparse, and it needs a little TLC from Carol. But, uh, um, and I'm hoping that doesn't become the new Thanksgiving tradition. Um, but as I was thinking about all those things, PFN, we have our traditions here as well. We just heard one. We got to uh, uh, listen to these kids. It was amazing to hear the kids it's a blessing for me to recognize that God is talking and pulling these little children towards him at such an early age. That is uh, amazing to me. So, Pastor Shauna and Chris Funk and all the rest of the team that mentors to those uh, preschoolers uh, deserve our thanks. And if you see them in the hallway or you see them when you're picking up your kids, make sure that you uh, offer them thanks for what they do. Um, <clears throat> our, at PFN, our tradition is is that we decorate the church on that uh, Monday after our Thanksgiving service. And then soon after we have this early childhood program and we can probably even set our calendar by some of the things that we traditionally have done here at PFN. We have the Thanksgiving service, we have the Thanksgiving dinner, we decorate. Refuge takes over on that next Sunday and didn't they also do an amazing job uh, last week. We have breakfast at the manger, we have the Christmas tea, we have the early childhood program, we have the kids' own program, worship Sunday, Christmas Eve service, and then sweatsuit Sunday on the next weekend. And occasionally some of those weekends have to switch back and forth, but we kind of get to know that routine of all the things that we traditionally do here at PFN. And your family probably follows some sort of routine around Christmas as well. You do the same things year after year, and the routine of that Christmas brings you that familiarity, and maybe you settle into that routine, and it brings that anticipation of what's going to be coming next as the holidays start to unfold. And sometimes we we sing those songs or we hear that stories about Christmas. And because we're so familiar with the words of the story and we're so familiar with the words of the songs, we don't even realize sometimes what we're singing. Angels we have heard on high. Okay, not necessarily the language that we use today, but we can understand that. We can figure that out. Sweetly singing o'er the plains and the mountains in reply echoing their joyous strains. Not real sure what, how that works, but uh, okay. And then we sing Gloria in excelsis Deo. What? <laughs> uh, we sing that those words every single year, but do we even know what those words mean? They're just part of the song, and we sing them. It means glory to God of the highest, by the way, but, but how often do we sing those songs, these familiar songs of Christmas, and we don't take the time to pause and to reflect on what we're singing. O oh, little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. Above thy deep and dreamless sleep the silent stars go by. Yet in thy dark streets shineth The everlasting light, the hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. The hopes and the fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. We sing those songs every single year, but do we pause to really reflect on what those words mean? This is Christmas. It's Christmas. This isn't the season of, of Black Friday or Cyber Monday. It, it's, it isn't a season about Santa or Rudolph. The season isn't about hollies or, or eggnog or snow and sparkles and all those kind of things. This is Christmas. And this is the season where most of the entire world celebrates the birth of the Messiah, the Savior of the world, Whether or not they understand that's why they're celebrating, that's what they're celebrating. This season, we're going to take time here to hear this familiar story, and we're going to listen to it and and maybe experience it through the eyes of people that were there, through these different characters in the story. And today, we're going to hear from a person that isn't even in the story at all. Although our traditions, and it seems like our our Christmas plays, and our pageants, and all those involve this character in the plays, he's he's not in the story at all. Perhaps it will surprise you as as you hear this, that this Christmas character is found nowhere in Scripture at all, although we've given him a fundamental part of this story. We're going to meet him in Luke chapter 2. So I want you to go ahead, and if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Luke. It's uh, in the New Testament. It's the third gospel. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. It's about two-thirds of the way through the Bible. Those gospels tell the story of Jesus. And we're going to be looking at the book of Luke. Now, Luke chapter 2 traditionally is that Christmas story. But there's... Parts that happened before that, that uh, in Luke chapter 1 and Matthew chapter 1, that are going to set the stage for the Christmas story. And the story starts with the angel of the Lord showing up in the temple one day, and the angel is speaking to a priest named Zechariah when he was inside. And the angel tells Zechariah that his wife, Elizabeth, is going to become pregnant and they will name him John. This baby goes on to become John the Baptist. Zechariah doesn't believe the angel because he and his wife are both getting up there in age and he thinks that they're too old to have a kid. And and because he doubts, he is made unable to speak throughout the entire pregnancy. So Zechariah and Elizabeth... Um, They make this interesting story. They're a sermon all of their own. Maybe someday we'll we'll, uh, dive in and look at their story. But six months later, this same angel shows up, this time to this young girl named Mary, who happens to be Elizabeth's relative. Uh, Some people think that she was her cousin. Some people say that she was uh, her niece, so this angel starts to speak to Mary, and we hear that familiar pronouncement that we have probably heard hundreds of times before about the upcoming birth of our Savior, Jesus. But do we, do we pause to understand what's actually being said? Luke chapter 1, starting at verse 30. <clears throat> the angel says, do not be afraid, Mary, you have found favor with God. The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is unable, is said to be unable to conceive, is in her sixth month. So no word from God, for no word from God will ever fail. And Mary says, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. After this, uh, Mary travels and she goes to see Elizabeth and she stayed there until John was born and and then she returns home. And we don't know why she went to go see Elizabeth. We don't know what they did there. We don't know uh, the details of her visit. We don't know what happened when Mary returned home. We don't know how Mary got back home. We we don't know why she stayed with Elizabeth. We don't know if her parents were happy about this pregnancy or what was happening in her home life. We don't know any of those things. We don't know any details until now. Turn the page, Luke chapter 2, and the story picks up again. So read this part of the story with me, Luke chapter 2. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census took first took place while Quinarius was governor in Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. There was no Room for them in the inn. And so enter in our our first character of Christmas, that innkeeper who greeted this young couple that night, who's not mentioned in scripture at all. He's not there in Scripture. We're assuming he's a man. We don't even really know that. We don't know anything about this guy. We don't know anything about his personality. We don't know what that exchange was like between Mary and Joseph and him that night. Uh, We don't know anything. And so we've taken this artistic license for for over 2,000 years now, assigning this innkeeper a temperament and, and actions in this story, and we, we put him in all of our Christmas pageants and plays, and, but we don't know anything about this guy. All we know is that Mary and Joseph showed up in a place in Bethlehem and hoped that they were going to find a place to stay because it was becoming abundantly clear... It was abundantly clear that Mary's not gonna hold this baby much longer. So what did happen? How did this exchange go? Was the innkeeper nice? Was he a good guy? Was he understanding? Or was he mean and and cruel? We don't know anything about him. For me, the innkeeper will always look like Dwayne Wilson. (laughs) Because Dwayne played the innkeeper in a man church uh, play a few years ago, and and Dwayne did a wonderful job in his interpretation of the innkeeper that night, but we don't know if Dwayne was historically accurate or not. We have no idea. (coughs) So tradition has given us a few scenarios, and I thought we would go through some of these different scenarios about how that encounter between the innkeeper and Joseph and Mary might have looked like. And as we go through these possibilities, I hope that if need be, we see ourselves in this story. Because I wonder, if I had opened the door, if I had answered that door 2,000 years ago, how would I have handled that situation? So if you're taking notes, the first scenario is someone who is opposed to Jesus. So not only do we not know the words that were spoken between the innkeeper and Joseph and Mary, there, there are no biblical clues here to even tell us what an inn looked like in those days. Uh, the, when the Bible doesn't give us enough clues, we have to go into history. We've got to go into archaeological uh, uh, answers and evidence and things like that. The problem is there's no real evidence of what an inn looked like 2,000 years ago. Some think that this inn was (coughs) merely a large house that had a whole bunch of guest rooms for people to stay in. Some think that this inn was really just a whole bunch of shacks or cabin, and they were built around a central stable, and that's where the travelers would come and stay and put their animals in the stable in the middle for the night. Some people think that this was no more than just a family home. But regardless of what it looked like, there was no room for them to stay there that night. And that word in, there was no room for them in the inn. That word is, is translated into our English as an upper room. Not a cabin, not a hotel room. That word used in its original language hints That this could have been, we don't know, but it could have been a family home. So some scholars think that when Mary and Joseph showed up that night, they knew exactly whose house they were showing up at. They knew exactly who this was because the house that they showed up at was a relative's house, and that innkeeper was a relative of Joseph. And so if that's how this went down, that they showed up at the home of a relative and then they were kicked out, it means that when that door opened and and that uncle or that cousin or whoever this relative is saw Joseph standing there, he would have recognized Joseph, but he also very quickly would have seen his pregnant fiance and knew that they were not married. And most likely, if this is what had happened, that door was quickly shut in their face. Oh, no. You are not going to bring this scandal into my home. Joseph, take yourself and your pregnant girlfriend somewhere else, not in my house, not in my home. I'm not going to pay the price for your sin. See, it could have been that there was plenty of room for them to stay. There just wasn't room for them to stay. But the innkeeper innkeeper didn't know the rest of the story. He didn't didn't know about the angels. He didn't know about the miraculous announcement of the son of the most high. He didn't know any of that. All he knew is this pregnant girl was at at his house and if he was going to let her in, then his life was going to change. Everything would have to change if they come inside. And such is the case with Jesus. If Jesus is who he says he is, if Jesus is the Son of God, if he is the Most High King, if he is the Lord of Lords, if that's who Jesus is, then when we let him inside, Everything is going to change. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, and the new is here. I I know people that are so opposed to Jesus because they don't want to give up on the old, or they don't see anything wrong with the old self. And so they're opposed to Jesus because they don't want to change or they don't think that they should change. And they remain opposed to Jesus because they know, without anybody telling them, they know that if Jesus comes inside here, then their life is going to change. They just don't know how wonderful that change could be. So is this what happened on the night when Joseph and Mary showed up in Bethlehem? Or did it happen a different way? Another model for this interaction that night between this young couple and this innkeeper, if you're taking notes here, the second one is uh, the person who is too preoccupied to notice Jesus is there at all. I want you to think about that evening. Mary and Joseph uh, showed up. And it's census time, which meant that everyone was supposed to travel from where they lived to their ancestral city of their family. And because Joseph came from the lineage of King David, and King David was from Bethlehem, Joseph had to take his family to Bethlehem to register for this census. Bethlehem, if you take a straight route, from Nazareth to Bethlehem is 70 miles. But the road they would have had to have have taken then was about 90 miles long. Walking, or Mary even riding on the back of a donkey. And so here they were, these two travelers, Mary and Joseph, if the inn were this large guest house or if that inn were those series of cabins, It was long full by this point. There is no room for them. And so when they show up, pregnant or not, that innkeeper is a busy man. He had guests to attend to. He probably had hungry lodgers that were expecting a meal after their travels. They also had traveled a long way and they had finally made it and they expected to be taken care of. There were people there to take care of, things that need to be done and he didn't have time for this young couple that shows up at his door. Perhaps he felt bad, we, we don't know, but their problem couldn't be his problem. He had paying customers to take care of, and they expected that service. There was no room for them in the inn. Perhaps he was so busy, he didn't even notice Mary's condition. He just put on the no vacancy sign, sorry, no room. How many times, how many times have we been that innkeeper? How many times have we been so preoccupied with ourselves and the things that we must accomplish that we fail to notice that Jesus is standing at our door saying, if you would just let me in, I could help you. No, Jesus, you, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't understand. I mean, I don't have time right now. I got this meeting to go to. I have clients I need to see. I have dinner that needs to be put on the table. I have kids that are driving me crazy. The lawn needs to be mowed. The leaves need to be raked. I have this and I have that and, and all of these other things. And everybody needs me now. I don't have time. Jesus, I'll get back to you when things Start to slow down. Anyone? I've come to discover that our busyness is not a spiritual gift. It's not. It is when we become so preoccupied with ourselves that we fail to give Jesus enough time. When we become so preoccupied with ourselves, we fail to give the savior of the world time to influence our lives. Are we so busy that we're missing Jesus in the process? Has Christmas time become so busy for us that we're missing the reason for all of it? So did the innkeeper miss Jesus because he didn't want to change or did he miss jesus because he was just too busy or was that innkeeper really the good guy that we want him to be and so number three is he the good guy who does the right thing but misses jesus in the process See, this is the version of of, uh, the innkeeper that I really hope that he is like because I really want him to be a nice guy. I really want him to be a compassionate guy uh, to Mary and Joseph. And so I imagine him that night that he is heartbroken that this young couple is at, at his door that night and he hears that knock on the door and it probably startled him. He wasn't expecting another guest. He knew there was no rooms. He was already full And then when he opened the door and he saw them standing there, he probably saw the dust on their their clothes and that tired looking donkey and an obviously pregnant girl sitting on its back and he immediately went into service mode. Oh, I'm sorry, sir. I'm I'm sorry I don't have room for you, but the best I can do for you, I can give you a place to stay. It'll, It'll be out of the weather a little bit. It's in the stable out back. Here, I'll quickly, I'll clean it up for you. I'll get it ready for you. Let me clean the hay out of this manger. And when the baby's born, you can place him there. I know it's not perfect, but it's the best that I can do for you at the moment. And I imagine he ran back into the house and he told his wife and he said, Honey, Bernice. <laughs> Had to have been here a couple weeks ago. So. Honey, make a meal. We've got this young couple, they're here and they're staying out back and she is in labor. Hurry, quick, get them something. I bet he brought everything that he could out of the house to spare so that this young couple could be comfortable or as comfortable as possible that night. I I bet his wife sat next to Mary and she held her hand during her contractions. I bet the innkeeper uh, kept Joseph distracted through all of it. I think the innkeeper did all of the right things, but he missed Jesus. Friends, in this Christmas, this Christmas season, let's not miss Jesus. We can do all of the right things. We can do the important things. We can sing our carols and we can shop for gifts for our families and friends. We can enjoy time together. You might even, I don't know why, but you might even watch a Hallmark Christmas movie. You might do something like that. You can do everything that's Christmas but miss Jesus. Throughout the year, we can serve our church We can do all the right things, we can help decorate the sanctuary for for Christmas, we can go and we can feed the homeless and we can help those that are less fortunate, we can come to church, we can play our instruments, we can sing worship songs together, we can go to Sunday school class and we can do all of the right things that good Christians are supposed to do, but still miss Jesus. And she brought forth her firstborn son, And she wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Do we have room? Do we have room for Jesus? Or are we just doing all of the right things but we're leaving Jesus standing at the door? And there he stands still today. Years later through a a vision to the disciple that's named John. Jesus tells him this. He says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him, and he with me. So, if nothing else, this Christmas, this Christmas season, hear Jesus standing at the door knocking. It's so easy for us to get caught up in our day, taking care of all the variety of things that need taken care of. It's so easy for us to serve each other and to serve the church. It's so easy for us to get caught up in the hustle and the bustle of Christmas. And none of that is bad, but don't miss Jesus in the process. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Will you open the door? This Christmas, let's not put up a single light or a single decoration. Let's let's not serve and sing and, and fellowship without first making sure of the reason why we're doing it. It's because of the birth of our Savior, Jesus. Let's not miss Jesus. At Christmas. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this simple story. In all of, of your word, it only covers a few paragraphs, but it's a, it's a story that is so deep and is so meaningful to us that your son humbled himself enough to be born in a stable there wasn't even enough room for him in the inn. jesus this christmas as we experience all of the busyness that this season brings us please help us to not miss you in the process lord during the years we serve you as we do, are doing all of the right things, as we're serving our church, as we're serving each other, as we're serving those that are less fortunate, as we're serving our friends and our families and our coworkers, as we're taking care of people, let us not miss you in the process. We can do all of the right things, even we can think for the right reasons, but still miss you so jesus could you help us to open our hearts lord we we saw these young kids here today these children sing about you and we can see the the joy on their face even though they were scared to death to be up here on stage but we can see that joy we've seen that joy as we talk about you their best friend but as we reach adulthood, Lord, could, could you restore that childlike faith to us this Christmas? Help us, Lord, to not miss you in the process. We love you, Jesus. We want to celebrate you. We want to celebrate your birth. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.